Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about the beauty of Xi Shi. Before we get into today's topic, I want to take a moment for some shameless self-promotion. I am proud to announce that in September I will be publishing my first book. From the Wall to the Water recounts my journey a few years ago from China to Europe, via the places in between, namely Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Afghanistan, Iran, and Turkey. The idea for the trip was for me to follow in the footsteps of a first-century Chinese explorer, soldier, and diplomat who set out to make contact with the Roman Empire. So the book is partly travel log, partly history, and partly personal memoir. I hope that sounds interesting to you, and if it does, look for it on Amazon in a couple of months. Thank you very much. Now onto today's topic. In an earlier episode, we mentioned the struggle between the kingdoms of. Wu and Yu, during the spring and autumn period, which is to say, back in the fifth century BC. Today, let's focus on one woman who got caught up in the middle of all the political intrigue. One woman who was allegedly ridiculously beautiful. A woman who gave rise to numerous expressions in the Chinese language, a woman whose name remains to this day a synonym for feminine beauty. Let's first review a little bit about what the Wuyue conflict was all about. So, of the spring-autumn period, it is usually said that there were five major kingdoms. That vied for supremacy, but in reality there were more kingdoms than that, even powerful ones. In central eastern China, think today's environs of Shanghai, there were two neighboring kingdoms called Wu and Yue, and they had a habit of fighting each other. In 496 BC, two significant things happened. In the long-standing conflict between the two, in the kingdom of Yu, a new king came to the throne by the name of Gou Jian. In that same year, in a battle between Gou Jian's forces and the forces of Wu, the Wu king He Lü was wounded in the big toe by an arrow. This was, after all, the Bronze Age. So a wound in the big toe turned out to be fatal. One assumes, due to an infection, that set in. So, He Lü died, leaving his son Fu Chai to become the king of Wu. Fu Chai didn't take his father's death and defeat very well. He committed himself to vengeance. He enriched his kingdom and he strengthened his army. Just two years later, in 494 BC, 
Fu Chai managed to defeat Gou Jian decisively. When Gou Jian surrendered, he declared his kingdom now a mere vassal of the Wu. He even moved to the Wu capital to become a personal servant of King Fu Chai. What Fu Chai didn't realize was that Gou Jian was a lot like him in at least one respect. He also hated losing. Gou Jian also swore vengeance. But on the surface, he played the part of a thoroughly defeated enemy, a man so humiliated that he had become one of King Fu Chai's most loyal servants, one who performed all the most menial tasks with utmost pleasure. After three years of Oscar-worthy performance, Gou Jian earned Fu Chai's trust and persuaded him to let him go home. Back in the kingdom of Yu, Gou Jian set about preparing his country to make a major comeback. He implemented a ten-year plan to strengthen the kingdom. He also adopted various stratagems against the Wu. As a vassal state, the Yu was supposed to provide tributes to the Wu, including seeds for planting. For the following year's harvest, one year, Gou Jian had his men steam the seeds that were to be provided to the Wu before sending them over. The poor, unsuspecting farmers of Wu planted those cooked seeds in their fields. Of course, there was no harvest the following year, leading to a major famine, dramatically weakening the Wu. But it's this next stratagem on Gou Jian's part that's our true topic for today. Gou Jian employed an advisor by the name of Fan Li. Fan Li was reputedly some kind of genius. He was a politician, a military strategist, and a financial wizard. He was so successful as a businessman that later business people would worship him as a kind of god of finance. He also wrote books, including a volume on, of all things, the cultivation of fish, said to be the first book in human history ever written on this subject. In 494 BC, before King Gou Jian rode out to meet the forces of Wu, Fan Li had warned his king against this course of action. After Gou Jian's defeat, Fan Li worked. To help his king restore his kingdom's fortunes, now King Gou Jian wanted to employ what, in Chinese strategic thought, is called the stratagem of the beautiful woman, and he wanted Fan Li to carry it out for him. See, there was a young woman who lived in the capital of the Yu, known as Xi Shi. This. Actually, wasn't her name exactly? Xi means west, and Shi was the name of her clan or tribe. Two villages stood in the area where she was from, one on the east side and one on the west, both largely populated by the folks of the Shi tribe. She was from the western village, 
and so she came to be called Xi Shi. Now, Xi Shi was allegedly pretty much the most beautiful woman anyone had ever seen. They said that when she came out to the bank of the river to do her family's laundry, the fish in the river saw her and hid, out of shame, out of embarrassment. Not wishing to be unfavorably compared to this woman, even today, to cause a fish to sink is one way in the Chinese language to describe a woman's great beauty. Xi Shi also gave rise to other expressions in Chinese, such as "qing ren yan li chu xi shi," a lover in his eyes tends to see a Xi Shi. Meaning that people we're in love with tend to appear beautiful to us, and also Dong Shi Xiaoping, referring to another girl from the eastern village rather than the western one, trying to emulate Xi Shi's looks and gestures, but failing miserably to produce the same impression. The phrase describes those who, without the requisite gifts, tried to imitate. The truly gifted. In any event, knowing about Xi Shi and her tremendous beauty, King Gaojian brought her in, and trained her in music and dancing and all the skills that a society lady, or was that a courtesan, was supposed to possess. Then King Gaojian had his loyal courtier Fan Li take her to King Fu Chai as a gift, because you know back then. Men could just give each other women as gifts. The idea, Gaudian's plan, was to get King Fu Chai to fall in love with Xi Shi. Gaudian calculated that Fu Chai would then spend all of his time with his new concubine, rather than doing his job, governing his country and paying attention to what his enemies might be up to. Fu Chai's loyal minister, a man named Wu Zixu, who deserves an episode in his own right, upon seeing Xi Shi, immediately advised his king to keep her at a distance. This woman, Wu Zixu told his king, was sure to be the kingdom's ruin. But Fu Chai did not listen, and King Gaojian's plan worked. Fu Chai soon spent all of his time enjoying Xi Shi's company, rather than conducting affairs of state. Sometime after that, King Gaojian and the Kingdom of Yue were finally ready to exact their vengeance. Gaojian led his army into Wu and conquered it. In fact, he destroyed it, wiped it off the map. King Fu Chai, having watched enemy troops streaming into his capital, committed suicide. What of the beautiful Xi Shi? What happened to her when her adopted kingdom fell and burned? Well, we don't really know for sure. According to one account, though, the financier Fan Li and Xi Shi had. Secretly fall in love with each other, when he conveyed her to the Wu capital. 
And now, as Wu fell, and amidst the chaos of war, Fan Li rushed into the palace to rescue Xi Shi. Though Fan Li had contributed to King Gou Jian's victory, he had no wish for any rewards other than the company of the woman he loved. So the two lovers walked away and lived out their days in seclusion as common citizens. In other words, they lived happily ever after. We may call this the fairy tale version. This has been MODG. Thank you for listening.